Welcome to Casa de Cambio. Today, my guest is none other than Frisca Wiria, who is a specialist in culture change, all-round amazing lady. She's very passionate about ensuring people not only survive, but thrive through change. Welcome, Frisca. Thanks so much, Natasha. I'm so excited to have you here. I'm so excited to be here. It's my first podcast. Oh my God, this is amazing. (laughs) Um, So today, we're going to be talking about culture change. Um, maybe we could start off, would you mind giving our listeners a bit of a background about some of the work you've done in that space? Yeah, sure. Uh, I've been in change for nearly a decade now and I just finished up um, at a tier one gold miner where I developed and executed initiatives to evolve the organisational culture to one that uh, was more empowered, more collaborative, more innovative. Um, I've also led the change for the digital transformation and I was part of a team there of world-class um, technology experts and we achieved you know, significant safety, productivity and financial outcomes. So prior to that, um, I worked f- for one of the largest engineering companies in the world where I was the global change lead and um, the projects I manage spanned technology, structure, process and people across the seven continents. Amazing. Yeah. So how did you get into change? Um. I first cut my teeth in general management consulting after I did my MBA and I started to recognise that change was being more and more um, regarded as a discipline, you know, mm. not, not just a fluffy comms plan, mm. you know, not just taking people out for coffee. There's actually quite a lot of deep thinking and a science behind it. So um, I saw the opportunity and I took a massive pay cut, 40% pay cut, to step <gasps> down from general consulting to start from nothing, start from a change analyst. And I just worked my way up with um, unwavering dedication, just soaking up knowledge like a sponge. So that would have been a really difficult decision to make, Mm. to be kind of mid-trajectory in a career and do that. So I'm interested to unpack that a little bit more. What was it about change management that made you think it was going to be worth it to you know, start at Change Analyst. Yeah, sure. It um, it played to all my strengths. And my mm. strengths are, I don't like to call them soft skills. I call them critical skills. I but hate it when people say soft yeah. skills. It kind of like exactly. uh, devalues them and makes them sound like they're not important when they're really bloody important. Yeah, I mean, you tell me any job that you don't need exceptional communication skills, you know, the art of persuasion and influence, uh, developing mm. rapport and trust. I mean, these are critical, these are life skills, both in and outside of the yeah. workplace. yeah. And so I recognised that it played to my strengths and I I realised that this kind of job is not the kind of job that gets outsourced. You can't outsource this sort of work. Okay. And then coming out of that consulting environment and working as a change analyst, was that humbling? It was humbling and I I didn't realise how difficult it was, you know, Um, because when it comes to people... At the end of the day, they're very irrational and illogical, no matter how, yeah. how much they think they make decisions based on facts and logic. Oh, we are ruled by our amygdalas. We are just yeah. basically those same cavemen <laughs> who, you know, that because that's what it's all about. And that's why people behave in strange ways because of, you know, all of the – what's the word? It's not hormones. No. Pheromones, hormones, like what does the amygdala releases cortisol, doesn't yes, it? Yes. Yeah, which is yep. – that's a hormone, right? Yeah. 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 So we're basically ruled by that. And and also what I found challenging about it is that you can't use the same solution twice. 
because what works for one stakeholder <laughs> is not going to work for another one. So yeah. it constantly kept me on my toes. Or what works well at one company is going to be a disaster yeah. at another company, yeah. even if it's the same, the exact same software that you're implementing. That's right. Mm. So it's both a blessing and, it, and a curse. The, the blessing is it means I'm continuously sharpening the saw, learning, adding to my toolkit, you know, talking mm. to other change experts such as yourself and, you know, finding out what's worked for you, what may work in this situation. So mm. Cool. And so after being a change analyst, you made your way up to where you are now mm-hmm. into very senior roles mm. um, and now you're specialising or spend a lot of time working on culture change, mm. which I find fascinating because yeah. I feel like sometimes software implementation can be a lot easier than culture change because it's like, well, we implement the software and then we get everyone to use it and we mm. shut down the old software. Mm. So, you know, and then we work through the issues. Yeah. But with culture change, it can be a lot harder to measure quantitatively yeah. and gather data on that. Oh, yeah. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Not, <laughs> not many people attempt it because mm. it is so goddamn hard. Like, and like you uh, correctly said, for a digital transformation, it's easy. It's tangible. It's visible. Mm. So you just have to make culture real. So what are the metrics? What are the indicators that tell us we are moving forward towards that desired culture? Yeah, and on that, maybe if I take a step step back from what you were saying, but I wanted to know, like, what are some of the signs that a company really needs to consider changing their culture? Um, it would have to be from the data points, so exit interview findings, um, employer review. Um, employee engagement surveys. Yeah, employee engagement surveys, and not just that, but independent third-party employer review websites such as Glassdoor. Glassdoor, yeah. Yeah, um, you want to look at turnover, um, and just general feedback, you know, you want to listen to people that probably four weeks into the business and ask them how they describe the culture. Yeah, because that would be very, very telling. Mm. 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 And with things like looking at uh, gender representation or diversity or seeing if there's any um, gender pay gaps, would that also potentially be a deciding factor in a culture change? Yeah, I would say that um, the more the more diverse the workforce is, and if they're staying, that's a sign of a healthy culture because that means you're appealing to people that span across ethnic and geographic boundaries. Mm, but I guess I was more thinking of maybe a specific example was remember a few years ago um, in the Australian Defence Force, they um, was it Gillian Triggs or was it her predecessor? They had a report, they had a lot of stuff come out in the media about sexual abuse, sexual Mm -hmm. assault. Um, It was a really crappy place for women to work. And remember the general at the time came out and did that video saying, if you let this happen, like the standard you walk past is the standard standard you accept. And if you don't like it, get out. Mm. Yeah. Because it was, it became very apparent that they had a huge problem with women. Yeah. And they embarked on a culture transformation to try and make it a more appealing place for women to work mm-hmm. and get women to start applying and also not have women be sexually assaulted on the job yeah. by their peers. Yeah. So that's kind of where I was leading to with that question. I was thinking maybe if you have a company where you look at your, I don't know, you've got very low female representation in your management roles or you've mm. got a big gender pay gap, maybe mm. you might want to do something about that. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Cool. Mm. So... If you have all of the signs that we've discussed before, like you've got very, very poor employee engagement scores, you've got poor exit interviews, you've got people leaving before their probation is up, 
Um, how would you begin going about trying to change that? What, was some of the, what would be some of the first things that you would do? First is baselining. So mm-hmm. um, how would people describe the current culture? Mm-hmm. You know, and why, why do they say that? And it sounds simple, um, but it's an exhaustive amount of data that you need to collate um, through and through various sources, you know, observational feedback, um, perhaps applicant interview questions, um, focus groups. And then once you decide, once you've baselined your current state, you then need to decide where you want to go. So wh- what are the traits? And then, you know, that needs to be supported at the very top at the leadership team. They really need to live and breathe it every day day in day out and do you sometimes have to go and um create those data sources if they don't already exist yep yeah yep and how would you go about doing that so um for the baselining um luckily there was already some pre-existing information that existed um and there were already focus groups in play for another project so for me, it was a matter of weaving into spe- weaving in specific cultural questions into those focus groups, so I could then use that as a data source. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great, great. That's a great example. Mm. Um, so after you've done the baselining, what would be and you've got support mm. from the executive leadership because uh, if they're not supporting it, it might not go so well. Yeah. Then what would you do? Um, you'd engage the business to collaboratively decide okay this is where we are this is where we want to go let's together decide how we're going to get there mm-hmm. and um, I still believe that the biggest influencer on culture is your manager is your leader because at mm. the end of the day culture is created by those one-on-one interactions you know everything that we say and do not just moves us but it moves people around us so that they need to buy into it fully and be prepared to learn and is there sometimes a gap in the capability of leaders to lead change and to role model the desired behaviours? Um, and if there is, what do you do with that if they're not helping? Yeah, um, there's always a gap. And I think like the, this is something, you know, technical experts have asked me. They're like, okay, we, we get what you're trying to do you know, to foster a culture of high trust, you know, more more innovation, more collaboration. But tell me day-to-day interactions, you know, the way I run my meetings, what I say to my teams, what do I need to do differently? So I don't sense any resistance, but I do sense um, they just need help. They just mm. need some guidelines. And um, it's we're not taught this in schools. So it's unrealistic to expect people um, to be able to you know, live and breathe the desired culture if they don't know how. Mm-hmm. So um, an intervention could be, you know, more coaching for them. Yep, mm. definitely. Mm. Um, yeah. No, I went to a workshop yesterday actually and um, it was a it was part of a town hall and mm. someone came in to facilitate a workshop and it was great. And one of the things that um, was discussed was feedback and your inner critic and how, and how to give feedback in a way if you're a manager that's uh, – positive and accepted well because we everyone has experiences where they've gotten feedback where they just dwell on it and it's really poorly received or it's not understood but yeah that message around um 
silencing your inner critic and providing good feedback. Like yeah. so many leaders don't know how to give feedback. They don't yeah. know how to actually... Or they know, but they're too scared to do it. Yeah, Because you remember that model point easy versus point crisis? The mm. longer you leave it, the bigger and bigger mm. it gets and then it's harder to actually voice your feedback. Yeah. Yeah, and even HR professionals to this day, like what's the number one rule of giving feedback? Face-to-face, not through an email. I mean... Oh, my God, yeah. 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 Or, yeah, true. Or, you know, face-to-face one-on-one not throwing out a passive-aggressive comment in a meeting (laughs) and being like, oh, my God, I just got embarrassed in front of all my peers. But I think everyone has experiences like that where they've been told, this is bollocks. And Mm. you're like, what specifically about it is bollocks? Can you give me an example of where you like it? Thanks for making me feel two inches tall in front of all my peers. Yeah. Yeah, or they've said, you know, something feedback that you just don't understand and you've said, I don't understand what you're saying and then they get really angry at you. you Or they say it louder. And they think that yeah, you'll understand if you do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, that's good. But, yeah, that's an example of, I mean, culturally. And I think as well, like, people our age and up were all managed in our, in the early stages of our career by, you know, that old school 80s kind of management where mm. it was very, I tell you what to do and if you make a mistake, I'll yell at you type yeah. of thing. So it would be really high. I think it would be really hard for people yeah. who have been managed that way to exactly. learn how to do it differently. And and add to that, you know, the international ethnicities that are prevalent in our mm. workplaces of today. Mm. Like I'm a, from a Southeast Asian culture. We do not give feedback. We do not give constructive feedback. Yeah, you know? right. Yeah. And so do many other cultures. We just don't do it. We never question our superiors. Yeah. So, you know, even though I've lived pretty much my whole life overseas in Australia, it's still... I need to make a concerted effort to do it, you know, and it takes a lot of um, inner sort of self-talk to actually book in that meeting and have a face-to-face. Yeah, yeah. See, I have to make a concerted effort not to just blurt it out. (laughs) I need to make it and just, you know, say exactly what's on my mind. I need some of that to rub off on (laughs) me. (laughs) Maybe we should do an exchange. But I feel like I need to really, uh, what I need to focus on is crafting the feedback because I know when I blurt it out, like... Mm. It can be blunt mm. and I need to be – like I'm obviously very aware of how it's going to be received by the other person so I want it to be received well. So that's my thing is don't just blurt it out when you're feeling it because I'm very much like I just say what I'm thinking and then I move on but then the other person might – They'll fester for yeah. – yeah. And I'm not saying that I've done that. It's just something that, um, that I'm aware of. That you're yeah. Yeah, to make sure that it is delivered in the correct way mm. and it is delivered in a way that's valuable mm. and, um, you know – helps the situation rather than makes it worse. Mm-hmm. So coming back to what you said about Southeast Asian cultures, so in those cultures, if they don't give feedback, how do they resolve problems and poor behaviour and poor cultures? Um, let's see. Uh, very poorly. <laughs> like change management is not even a thing there. Is that because people just do what they're told Correct. by their manager? Correct. What would we do if we, we would be out of a job? Yes, I'd probably be fired by now. <laughs> <laughs> How do they? Well, it's it's easy it's easy if it's um, poor performance of someone lower. I mean, your boss just tells you like it is, and mm. he'll, he'll tell you probably very bluntly, you know. And if it's someone higher up than you, most likely you would have to widen your sphere of influence and speak to their one up manager and address your concerns. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Wow. Mm. But would the one up manager be open to feedback about one of their reports from somebody you know two levels down? Potentially. Maybe, yeah. Potentially. If, if there was a 
drastic impact to reputation or profitability or productivity. I mean, they'd, mm. they'd have to listen. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, but um, yeah, grievance processes, they don't really exist in Asia. Yeah, and I yeah. guess as Australians, we are a very vocal bunch and we're very open and direct mm. in our communication. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I think, yeah, even if Australians were in a place like the United States, I think we'd be viewed as pretty forward mm. in our approach. Mm. And I think we're just used to that. And, you know, British people, well, British people socially are like that, but at work they're not like that at all. Mm. They're very polite and, you know, I don't know if they would do that. But I would love to hear from our British readers, uh, listeners, readers, this is a podcast, <laughs> <laughs> listeners about that. Um, anyway, back to culture transformations, although mm. that was a very interesting discussion about you know cultures and feedback in, in other countries. Mm. Um, are there any, when you, so you talked about, baselining data, getting executive buy-in. Um, are there any quick wins that you would recommend people go for if they're trying to change a culture? Because, I mean, change is hard and changing a culture is very difficult and takes a long time. Is there anything that you've experienced could be done quickly and easily to get some good results on the board early? Mm-hmm. Um, it's making the tangible real, so articulating how culture is not yet another add-on but it feeds into and it's, it actually supports other pre-existing initiatives and programs because often the pushback is but we have our values you know does this mean we're moving away from our values it's really making it clear outlining um, the links between actually this change is helpful in upholding our values yeah because um, our values determine how we behave and our behavior mm-hmm. is a symptom of the culture um, I find establishing some sort of buddy system like a cohort group um, really helps drive accountability and ownership. You know, why do people have personal trainers and exercise buddies? Because mm. they know they'll be disappointing someone if they don't mm. perform. So that using the same methodology and that acts as a trusted forum where you can ask for advice, you can share challenges, um, you know, um, everything's better with a friend uh, that's in the same bucket. Um, and similar how the success of previous dig- digital transformations that I've been in skyrocketed, when, um, you know, squads were established, it's that face-to-face engagement. So, you know, having that high frequency of visible active support from leaders, um, role modelling desired behavioural traits is really critical. And this ensures that, you know, the culture change is business-owned and it's leadership-supported. And I think um, what I wanted to underscore is that all these strategies are meaningless without one thing, and that's authenticity. Mm. So something that worked um, really well um, at the program that I just wrapped up was when leaders bravely shared personal stories about themselves Mm. that showed them in a different light, you know, as just another human being doing the very best they could at the time. So um, some people came up to me um, after the session and said that they knew more about that leader from the 10-minute story that they shared than the entire two years they'd been working there. And it showed that we may change our minds sometimes, but never our hearts. Mm. And that was really, really powerful. Um, And these are the moments. These are the moments that blast open the doorway to vulnerability, you know, that that elicit fierce loyalty. These are the moments that forge new connections and that deepen trust and understanding. But um, it takes guts, you know, it takes real courage. And so my advice would be to find those that have it in spades enlist them in the good fight 
and just watch the motivation and the inspiration spread like wildfire. Cool. Mm. That's great. Um, do we need to give a shout out to Brené Brown there? Yeah, I, was, I, was getting I love Brené. I was getting Brené vibes. <laughs> yeah, I'm a huge girl fan. Same. Yeah. <laughs> Same. I love her. Um, actually, side note, have you listened to her podcast with Russell Brand? No, it's on my watch later list though. Yeah, yeah, under the skin, like it was so good. I was so overwhelmed a couple of times. Like mm. my brain was exploding. I had to stop it and mm. just come back to it later. But it was such a good episode of a podcast. Yeah. I'll put that in the show notes. Okay. <laughs> um, so are there any pitfalls to avoid when you're embarking on a culture change program? Um, I think for something that literally impacts every single person in the business if it's not led directly from the top and every single one of the executive team have bought into it then it's yeah save yourself the pain Mm. yeah it's not going to work yeah yeah and if they have bought into it then you just need to be so um, consistent and regular with the role modeling and the storytelling you know, like like with any change, the first time people hear it, they're not listening. The first time, you know, what's in their head is, oh, what's for dinner? What time do I need to pick up the kids? Mm. These shoes are really uncomfortable. You know, the second time is, oh, yeah, the CEO is saying something. Yeah, I don't think it's relevant to me. Something about culture. Yeah, yeah. something about culture. Third time is, oh, geez, they're still talking about it. Should I listen? Maybe I should listen. Mm. You know, and it's only after the fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth time that they realise – actually, this is not going away. Yeah. Um, and now I'm paying attention. What do I need to do differently to be a part of this? So that's a really good point that you make is often I've seen um, executives men- mention something once and then they say nothing about it. And there might be a project happening in the background, but no one knows about it, so they forget about it. But you're right. They need to keep mentioning it and keep updating people on it and mm. saying this is still a thing. It's still happening. Yeah. Here's where we are now. Yeah. And here are some quick wins and let's celebrate you know, these results that we got this week. Exactly. Mm. Um, So, you know, a lot of my experience comes from energy, um, resources, you know, heavy hard hat sort of industries. And in that environment, safety transformations usually work really, really well. So why? Why is this? Chances Mm. are the executive team talk about it all the time. It's really visible in the offices and on the sites, right? There's posters aplenty. Um, it hits people in their back pocket. So usually the um, leaders and managers have safety-related KPIs where they don't meet their targets, they don't get their bonuses. Boo-hoo. Yeah. But also, I mean, those industries are dangerous industries Correct. to work in and the people who are working in them also want to be safe and they want to know that their employer yeah. is doing everything they can to that's keep right. them safe. Yeah, that's right. And um, and chances are in most meetings, you've got a safety share starting every meeting. Yeah. If you're serious about culture, you have to apply that very same logic. So um, some of the leaders actually started introducing culture shares and value shares, which was really, really effective. And wow, that really great. brought the culture to life. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And I think you're right in that safety. It is something that's very, um, you know, for people who are working in a company, particularly mining, um, it is their day to day. Like that is safety is their business Yeah. because – um, you know, I've worked in mining too and I've worked at a mining company when there have been mm. deaths on mine sites and it's always a bad day Yeah, when that's something like that happens. And, of course, you want to do everything you can to avoid that. But, yeah, and as someone who's working for that company, that could be one of your mates. Mm. 
Um, and you know how dangerous your work is when you're going down into the mine every day. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're right, you need to treat it the same way and with the mm-hmm. same importance. Yep. Because if the culture's bad, you know, it's going to affect people's mental health. Correct. It's going to affect the bottom line of the company. Correct. Yeah, it's going to have so many flow-on effects. Um, oh, there was something else I wanted to ask you while you were talking and I made a mental note. Now it's gone. I'll come back to it. Um, are there any global examples of culture transformations that you would hold up as best practice? Yeah, IBM springs to mind um, just because I was at a um, leadership symposium a few months back. And, um, well, first of all, as a company, they've reinvented themselves. They mm. they were pretty much going down the tubes and mm. now they're back up there as a rebranded uh, design and innovation consulting firm, you know, moving away from hardware and software. And the CEO was very, very humble. And um, he presented to, I think there was about... 400 people in the room and he he lived and breathed the change he wanted to see. He put up his 360 degree review feedback mm. and um, he admittedly said, you know, his leadership style, some would describe him as an a-hole. Wow. And then... You can swear on this yeah, podcast. Yeah. You can say whatever you like. <laughs> okay, I wasn't sure. <laughs> and then he also showed... And then he showed um, the results 18 months later and what the results were like. And um, yeah, it was was he still amazing. An A hole or not an A grade one? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's a working he was progress. Just a bit of a He'll jerk. admit that. <laughs> yeah, but they they talked about the culture change all the time. Every single one of their leadership team signed up to it. Um, there was an army. I think um, they said there was about twenty what they call culture coaches, which is exactly what we were discussing a few moments ago about role modeling. Mm. You know how how do leaders know? how to act in certain situations to bring out those cultural traits. So these culture coaches would hold them accountable and they came from all levels of the business. They were not HR professionals. Mm. You know, some were scrum masters, some were marketing people. Um, they came from from all levels and all walks of life. Yeah, so everybody had skin in the game. Mm. The thing, I remember the question I was going to ask you before. Mm. Um, you were talking about, leaders leading change what advice um as someone who is you know managing the culture transformation what advice would you give to leaders and executives on how to role model and lead that change first of all i would say do not underestimate the impact of the shadow that you cast Mm. um so many many um people from the front line came up to me um, when they heard about this culture initiative and said that they had noticed a difference. You know, that, that first 60 seconds of when a leader walks into a meeting room, you know, their body language, the way they ask questions, um, your people notice. Yeah. Your people remember and your people will talk about it and be inspired by you. Yeah, and yeah. you're absolutely right. When you're a CEO or a senior executive or, you know, the head of a business unit and you go to like your town hall or – um, whatever employee meeting that you're speaking at, they do listen to every single word that you say and yeah. the tone that you use and how you say it and they read into it because yeah. they're trying to work out what are your priorities. And, you know, I've been to town halls where a CEO has spoken and everybody comes back and say, oh, did you hear them say this, this, this and mm. this? And, you know, people really, yeah, like it, you can't be flippant about that and you yeah. do need to be aware that you do have a very a much louder voice. Correct. And mm. you need to have your 
elevator pitch, always ready for why, because you will get asked, why should I do this? Why mm. do you believe in this? Mm. What will you personally do to make this a success? Yeah. Any other advice for leaders? Um, just to be active, visible and regular throughout. You know, it's, it's more than just signing off on budget mm. or turning up at a kickoff event. Like, you know, 30 seconds of you being FaceTime um, at a town hall is much more valuable than the most elegantly crafted email you can create. You know. Yeah. Mm. So what if you are a leader and you're trying to change the culture of your organisation or maybe you're a new leader who's just come in and you're like, oh, you know, I'd like to turn some of this stuff around and you're doing, you know, you're being visible, you're being present, um, you're going to team meetings, you're trying to get to know people, you're holding huddles or lean coffees or mm. and what if like people aren't turning up or they're deleting your emails and like how would you do you have any recommendations for leaders as to how to overcome that like if people are really disengaged and the culture is really bad okay so if they've if they've already checked out well first you'd, you'd want to understand why mm. you know is it because um so without understanding people's why it's really hard to resolve it you know, I'm 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 pro side trained, and I always lean on the on the ad car principles. Mm-hmm. So, are they aware of it? You know, may, maybe maybe not yet. Like I like we talked about earlier, maybe the first time they said it, they were thinking about what time to pick up the kids from from yep. daycare. Yeah. So, not only are they aware of what it's about, but why we're doing it, and most importantly, how it'll benefit them. Mm. And and after that, do they want it? And if they don't want it, then yeah, again, figure out figure out why. Do they think it's too hard? Do they think they're not capable? Maybe it's a psychological block that they're having. So I would try to figure out what the obstacles were mm. um, to performance. Because I've seen that happen where a leader's really trying mm. and people are just not into it. Yeah. And they're going, well, you know, I'm being vis- – like I'm trying to role yeah. model and people are just – you know, they're not coming yeah. up to my mi- – like. And, and imagine being a senior executive and trying to have some type of meeting oh, that would people be so not crushing. showing up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, that would say to me that – I don't have the relationship or the credibility with that person, so I would find out who does. You mm. know, I'd, I'd build a support network of people who are for this change yep. and leverage it that way. Yeah, build a guiding coalition, so to speak. Good one. Mm. Bit of cotter. Yeah, bit Love of cotter. <laughs> Love cotter. <laughs> um, so in the chat we were having before we started officially recording, you also talked about um, Spotify, was it, as a global example of best practice? ING. ING. Yeah. Oh my God, it was ING. Yeah. It was something in the <laughs> Netherlands. <laughs> yeah. So um, that was really good. I actually spoke to the lady that um, led that program um, in Amsterdam. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, it was a burning platform for change. So there was a lot of um, scandals um, in the European banking sector. Um, a lot of managers also just weren't living and breathing and they needed a complete like they reset. They were dead. <laughs> <laughs> weren't sorry. Weren't living and breathing the the values. Yeah. So <laughs> no, <they're> I'm just. <laughs> I was just being a jerk. <laughs> so yeah, they did. They did a complete um, reset and poured. It was a significant eighteen month project, mm. and um, they started from the basics. So they um, went out to the business, um, asked them what are the top, you know, traits that they want. And they narrowed it down to four. And then they're like, right, so it's not just going to be the top leadership team telling telling people what the traits are. Let's put it to them. So they came, they developed a survey and there were a hundred different examples 
of what that trait looks like in real life and employees were asked to vote. So the top-ranked um, practices turned into what they called um, the orange code, the ING code, right? Their, their branding's orange mm. and an aggressive um, ongoing communications campaign to bring that to life. So the, um, And it was, again, washed through all the business. They had to redo how they remunerated people, how they measured performance, and it was all linked to those new behaviours. And they developed something that went viral um, to encourage people to complete the survey because it was fully optional. Um, the last question was, you know, who do you know in the business that already kind of lives and breathes these traits? Mm. And would it be all right if we sent them an email to give them kudos, you know, yep. uh, for living and breathing the culture? And it was so successful that people were contacting them, asking to do the survey again because they wanted to send more, more kudos, people. more positive Aww. feedback. So they t- it just went crazy. Um, when I spoke to her, they'd reached like 125,000, you know, kudos, kudos is sent. Fantastic. So, so it was, it went, um, yeah, the momentum was so significant. They actually invested in an app, a kudos app, where you can send positive feedback in real time to people that live and breathe that desired culture. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And you mentioned when you were talking about that example, um, there was new behaviours required and new capabilities. I mean, does that mean that for some people working in that uh, company, they're not going to kind of – they don't have the behaviours, they don't have the skills and maybe it's not going to be possible for them to learn it? Yep, and some of them weren't willing to to do that. They didn't didn't want to get on the bus. so bad to begin with is that, you know – so, so they went through a decluttering process, yeah, yeah, yeah which is um, easier said than done, you know. I mean, I'm sure we've all worked with a lot of technically brilliant people who were just jerks. Um, yep. Yeah, they weren't scared to make sacrificial lambs. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Because uh, you cannot underestimate the detriment one person may have on a thousand people, right? Yeah. I mean, the, the, the culture that's held in the team – filters down from the leader so if the leader's not the right person then the entire team will be impacted yeah 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 people logically know this but they still don't know it in their hearts and it takes a very um special company to be able to make those tough decisions yeah and how do they go about making sure the right people get moved on because i've seen examples of that happening where they do do a good you know declutter and they get some fresh people in and do all that but I've also seen examples of where companies say that and they say oh we're going to change this and we you know these are now our principles and vision and then they do their restructuring but the same people who have been there forever always stay at the top Mm. and they might be people who get results by making their staff work nights and weekends and they're basically bullies or you know yeah and sometimes I look at that very cynically and go well you've said that but I can see this person and that person and you know who are part of their old school people and they're just, you know, putting on a wig and yeah, a pair it does of happen. Like glasses yep. and the moustache. Yep. <laughs> it does happen, definitely. Yeah. Um, I didn't speak to her about that. But no. um, I've, I talked to Apple and they have a very strong, consistent culture. Mm. And um, they've said to go through their interview process to make sure it's the right cultural fit. They have up to 14 interviews. before Jesus. you have, Yeah, 14. Wow. So you but I guess pr- people want to so work for Apple people. so badly they would put themselves through that. Yeah. Yeah. 14 interviews. Yep. 
Wow. Mm. Wow. <laughs> I don't know if I could do that. <sighs> There's so many. <laughs> I know. I'm shocked. I know. And even um, somebody that was already in the business to get a different role um, in a different country, same company, eight interviews. Is that This person had a stellar track record. Is that inefficient? Or is it? Does it ensure that they get the best, the right people in the right roles? I don't, well, when you think of the cost of a wrong hire due to oh. cultural misfit, I read the other day that can cost up to two hundred grand. Yeah, for a company. Well, they say it takes up to it's what twenty five percent of a person's salary to recruit a new person. No, I think it was two hundred grand if you hire someone and because your culture is bad, they leave. Mm. That will cost your company two hundred grand. I oh, think wow. a bad leader will that cost makes far more than that. Yeah, yeah. that makes That's sense. That's a regular employee. Mm. Mm. Great examples. Um, is there anything else you wanted to share with us about culture change? Any analogies? Any advice? Um, actually, your point then about you know brilliant, brilliant jerks, so to speak, mm. and they're still in those positions. And well, these you know, pe- some of these people weren't even brilliant. Either. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even giving them that. And I think um, when someone has gotten results and i'm saying that with um inverted commas yeah (laughs) the driver is often you know why change but i think you should bring those invisible impacts to light Uh, like you know bring out turnover stats you know the cost that you just said of um people leaving and um i think that you have to really realize that those results are short-lived and at what cost. It's often just because those costs are invisible and never brought to light that, mm. that they stay in those positions. Yeah, cool. Mm. Um, so you've got a speaking gig coming up next month? Correct, I do. Um, I'll be at the Mining Leaders Forum in Perth um, on the 18th of November. Fantastic. So mm. if anyone's in Perth, you can go and see Friska doing her thing. <laughs> um Anything else you wanted to share with us before we wrap up? Yeah, I think um, when it comes to embarking on a culture change that you really have to show your seriousness with it mm. and that if you're really serious about this, then it needs to be measured, you know, not not once a year like most companies do because by that time the horse is bolted and yep. you're making decisions based on data that's 12 months old, mm. but quarterly, just like your financial highlights, yep. you know, and that regular sort of um, measuring allows you – to, you know, find where, where are you making an impact? Where are you not? You know, you can then continuously fine-tune and finesse um, your change and engagement initiatives. And the the pushback that – some of the pushbacks that I've had and I wanted to share some of the responses is that, um, oh, look, uh, you know, I'm supportive for this culture change but, you know, we don't have the time, we don't have the money, you know, that's the issue. But what I want to say to that is that time is a great equaliser. You know, we all have 24 hours in the day and, you know, extra cash is not what builds truly great organisations that stand the test of time. It's a culture. Yeah. Right? I mean, why is why does everybody know about lean production but Toyota is the only one to have been able to get such amazing results? The same can be sped, said how Spotify scales yeah. and adopts agile practices. Mm. Why Southwest Airlines is the top of their game in the low-cast carrier industry in the U.S., Others struggle to remain afloat after a few years. Yeah. It's all about their culture because culture, once you create it and once it's healthy and it's thriving, it's bloody hard to copy. 
mm. you know, because with enough time and capital, any of your competitors can reverse engineer processes. They can copy your strategy. Yeah, you or know? a technology that can work out how, exactly. it, how it works and, you know, make it just slightly so different to your patent. Mm. Mm. So, Friska, what are you watching or reading at the moment? Any podcasts you're listening to? Um, I am listening to Freakonomics, TED, oh. TEDx, yeah, Brene Brown, as you know, we're both uh, big fans, um, Esther Perel. Who's Esther Perel? Esther Perel wrote um, The State of Affairs and she's that thought leader that's talking about the shifting relationship paradigms that we're in. And these are all podcasts? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm writing this down. I'll put this in the show notes. (laughs) Does Brene Brown have her own podcast? I just Googled Brene Brown in my – In your podcast app. In a podcast app. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Esther Perel. And who was the other one? Freakonomics. Freakonomics. I love that. I've read the book. Freak, or both the books, Freakonomics and yeah. Super Freakonomics, because, you know, I actually majored in economics at university. No. Yeah, oh. I did. I wow. love it. I find it fascinating as yeah. well. And yeah, and it's such a fascinating book because it's, you know, economists are um, they're kind of conservative and maybe a little bit stuffy people. And mm. to have an economist who's so out there mm. and wants to explore data in such a different way, yeah. I find it fascinating. I'm definitely going to be checking out that one. I subscribe to TEDx. And I'm a huge fan of Alan de Botton as well. Oh, He's that yeah, philosopher. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool. And any TV shows you're watching? No, I don't. I don't watch TV actually. You don't watch TV? No, I don't at all. <laughs> no, at all. I didn't know this. <laughs> What's that about? I don't know. I've just. I'm either reading or like I, I've got Netflix, but I don't watch TV. Oh, so you watch Netflix? Mm. What are you watching on Netflix? Um, I don't really watch TV, TV, except the ABC, obviously. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of James Bader, Blacklist. Blacklist. Mm. Haven't heard of that. Okay. All right. What's it about? Um, It's about this underworld criminal that has a good side and a daughter and he ends up collaborating with the FBI to track down the world's most wanted. Oh, so is it a crime drama? Yes. Oh, my God, I love crime dramas. <laughs> All right, I'm getting straight <laughs> onto that. Awesome. Um, another thing I like to ask um, all of my Casa de Cambio amigos is what was the best career advice you ever received or a good piece of career advice you received? Mm, okay. Give me a second. Let me think about that. That um, that just realise, you know, if something ends, whether it's a uh, whether it's a redundancy or your contract or something that it may not be your forever, but it's your lesson mm. and you really need to stop and reflect on, on what that lesson is. Yeah, that's great. Mm. Um, and when we were chatting before, um, you know, we were just shooting the breeze a little bit about culture and change mm. and you made this great analogy about a garden. Yep. Could you share that? Sure. Um, I think it stemmed from my eye-rolling at the amount of times the bloody iceberg analogy has been trotted Mm. out and how they liken that to culture because you can see the behaviours on top but you don't know what's driving it. So, um, yeah, park that. That's yesterday's news. And I like to think of culture as a garden. So why garden? Because it's created by people organically and culture is a living thing. It continuously grows and evolves. Uh, It has to be tended to and regularly Mm. nurtured. And while you can't 
design culture, the elements that shape and mould it can be. And when I say elements, it's things such as, you know, some, some elements are beyond our control, like geopolitical forces, mm. environmental factors. But in many ways, it's all of us and we are all gardeners. We create the conditions that help or hinder a culture's growth. And by this, I'm referring to you know, processes, policies, shared values, your leadership style, the people you choose to hire or fire, right? And, you know, what happens when you neglect a garden? Two things. It'll either wither and die or it'll be overrun with weeds. Yeah. And those weeds are the toxic people that we talked about, the brilliant yeah. jerks or not so brilliant jerks. They're just jerks. Yeah. Um, unethical <laughs> behaviours. Why do you have this job? <laughs> I don't understand. You know, destructive conflict, confusion, disengagement. So... Exactly like a garden, your culture needs ongoing care and nurturing if it's to grow and thrive. So it doesn't belong to one person. It doesn't belong to the top leadership group. It's something that you share and co-create with everyone. And, um, you know, make no mistake, when I'm elbows deep in fertilizer with a sore back, wiping sweat off my brow, I'm like, why the hell did we embark on this culture journey in the first place? Mm. And it's in those times that you really need to remember that the flowers of the garden are worth it, you know. Engage people, climbing productivity, reduced attrition and recruiting and onboarding costs spiralling downwards. I mm. mean, the the flowers are for everybody to enjoy. And when we think, you know, hypothetically, if we, you know, start working at 25, retire at 65, averaging 40 hours a week, God. you know, working 48 hours, I mean, 48 weeks a year, you know, take a month off. That's nearly 60,000 hours we spend at work. Wow. So it doesn't make sense to be more intentional about the culture that you create in your workplace. So that's why I like the garden analogy. It's not going to happen organically, so don't leave it up to chance. That's wonderful. Mm. I love it. Thanks. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for joining me today on Casa de Cambio. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. Bye. See ya.